Take your Bibles and turn with me to Revelation 19. I know some of y'all think that Jesus is going to come back in this sermon, but he doesn't come back in the sermon till next week, all right? Uh, he's, he could come back right now, but uh, he's not going to come back in the sermon <laughs> until next week because we've got some heavenly hallelujahs to talk about, all right? And it's always good to say hallelujah. I just kind of like to say it every once in a while, so let's just say it right now on the count of three, and don't just say it, shout it. I want to I want to hear if you know how to shout. I want to see if you are going to know how to act in heaven, all right? Don't you get up there and they say, well, it must be one of them Baptists because he doesn't know what he's doing, all right? Come on now, on three, let's shout hallelujah. One, two, three. Hallelujah! Amen. That, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. When I was growing up, I loved Western movies. Consequently, I loved John Wayne. Oh, man. He was not anything but one real man. Now, I know a lot of days, a lot of times nowadays, he wouldn't be perceived that way, but boy, now that's a man right there. Now, John Wayne, you might not know it, but one of our deacons led him to Christ. One of our deacons who is a doctor led, was out in California, got to meet him and led John Wayne to Jesus not long before he died. But the thing I like about the John Wayne movies is you knew in the end he was going to come out on top. Amen? And uh, you also know that with a Hallmark movie. You know, I mean, you know at the end... Two people that have been struggling in their relationship are going to finally get together and you know they're going to seal the deal with a kiss. Don't you know that? Now, if you hadn't watched a Hallmark movie, I don't know what to tell you. But anyway, that's what, they, that's what they all turn out in. And all the John Wayne movies I know of, good guys win in the end. Problem with that is sometimes on this earth, looks like that's not the way it's going to be. Bad things happen to good people. Nowadays, it's hard sometimes to believe that the good guys always come out on top. There are people that are very frustrated. They're hurting, lost their jobs. They are hurting. Some of them are marching in the streets, peaceful protests, nothing wrong with that, but it's always wrong to go violent with it. It's always wrong to burn somebody's business down and to loot. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 14, 33, for God is not a God of what? Disorder, but a God of peace. But there are many people hurting. They're frustrated. They've seen generational inequities. And they're frustrated. So if they don't know the Lord, they act out. They don't see any hope. You know, when you don't have any hope for the future, it's a hard way to live life, is it not? But I want to assure you of something today. I want you to listen to what I'm about to say. 
And this is not just somewhere over the rainbow stuff. This is the Word of God. In the end, righteousness is going to win out. Righteousness is going to win out and every wrong will be righted. Everything that is wrong is going to be turned into right by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Justice one day will be served. And I think this longing for justice is down in the human heart. We know that there are inequities. We know that our world is messed up. We know that. And I want to say this to you. It has been messed up ever since Eve took that forbidden fruit and ate. That's when everything went south. And from then on in, we all have a sinful nature. And whether we like it or not, hey, look at me. Now, this is going to hurt a little bit, but hang with me. You have done people wrong too. You hear what I just said? You have done people wrong. It's not just that these other people are being done wrong. You have done people. All have what? Sinned and come short of what? The glory of God. So we're in a broken world. But that's why Jesus came the first time to provide redemption. And that's why he's coming back. He's coming back, not to take sides, but to take over. And one of these days, justice will prevail. One of these days, every wrong is going to be, everything that anybody has ever done to you that is wrong, God is going to judge that. God is going to take care of it. You hear me? God is a God of justice. God is a God of righteousness. And God keeps the books. We don't keep the books. God does. And He will do the right thing. The judge of all the earth will do right. And what you have in Revelation chapter 19, think with me now. What you have is all of heaven rejoicing because God has just, in chapter 17 and 18, He has just judged this evil world system that has caused so much sin and so much separation and so much sorrow, and they are rejoicing that God has judged it and that God now is going to righteously, through His Son, come back and reestablish the right kind of kingdom on this earth for a thousand years. You hear me today? These things are coming just as surely as you can hear my voice right now. These things are coming and no devil and no demon and no king and no politician, no president, no senator, no Supreme Court, nobody can stop what God is going to do. Not even the devil himself. So, it's with that in mind 
that I want to talk to you about the heavenly hallelujahs, all right? Look there in chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. After these things, what things? God destroyed Babylonian religion, the worship of Antichrist, in chapter 17. Then God turned around and destroyed Babylonian economy, all the businesses that were picking their money off of people, preying on people that were poor. All of that unrighteous business has been wiped out in chapter 18. So, after these things, John said, I heard something like a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God because His judgments are true and righteous for He has judged the great harlot, that's Babylon, that's the evil world system, who was corrupting the earth with her immorality, and He has avenged the blood of His bondservants on her. And a second time they said, Hallelujah! Her smoke rises up forever and ever. And the 24 elders, I love these guys, and I'd like to hire them on staff. I mean, (laughs) these guys are awesome. The, The 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who sits on the throne saying, Amen! Hallelujah! And a voice came from the throne saying, Give praise to our God, all you His bondservants, you who fear God, the small and the great. Then I heard something with the voice of a great multitude like the voice of a great multitude, and like the sound of many waters, and like the sound of many peals of thunder, saying, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give the glory to Him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself ready. It was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean, For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, Write, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are true words. Verse 10, Then I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, Don't do that. Now that's the way he said it too. Don't do that. I'm a fellow servant of yours. And your brethren who hold the testimony of Jesus worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. This is the word of the Lord. Why do they say hallelujah in heaven? I'll give you three reasons. Number one, they say hallelujah, praise God for His wrath for His wrath. As I said earlier, back in Revelation 17 and 18, God poured out His wrath on this evil, anti-Jesus, anti-Bible, anti-truth, anti-church, anti-God world called Babylon. That's what God calls the world, the evil world system. It is Babylon, and he wipes it out. He wipes it out. And at the end of chapter 18, he had commanded everybody in heaven to celebrate the fact that he'd wiped it out. Revelation 18, 20, rejoice over her, that is Babylon, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets, 
because God has pronounced judgments for you against her. And so what we see in Revelation 19 verses 1 through 10 is a fulfillment of that command. God commands them to celebrate the fact that He has destroyed this wicked world called Babylon, and they do it in verses 1 through 10. Look at verse 1. After these things, I heard something like a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Hallelujah! And by the way, I can't say that soft. So if that's bothering you, I don't know what to tell you. I don't know what to tell you. All right, I'm going to do it. So, salvation and glory and power belong to our God. Here you have a man well over 90. John the Apostle wrote five of the New Testament books, including the last book in the Bible, Revelation. He's imprisoned on a remote island because he was preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, and the old emperor Domitian didn't like it. He throws him, sends him out to an island to die. I've been to that island twice. Nothing on it hardly at all. I don't know how in the world they survive. It's a big rock quarry, and he would, during the day, take his old feeble hands, and he would hammer out rocks, and he would hammer out stones to build these magnificent buildings in Rome. And so he would come back at night, and the Holy Ghost would come upon him and give him a vision of revelation in the night. And he'd go back to work, and he'd come back, and he'd go back to work, and he's getting this. And so he's hearing this, and all of a sudden, the Bible says, he heard a loud voice a great, of a great multitude in heaven. I want to say this to you, heaven is not quiet. I've talked to some people who say, I can't wait to go to heaven. I just want some peace and quiet. You're going to get some peace, but you're not going to get quiet, all right? It is loud in heaven because people are shouting unto God with a voice of triumph. They're saying, hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God. The word hallelujah is a compound Hebrew word. It comes from two Hebrew words, halal, which means to praise, Yah, which is an abbreviation of Yahweh, which means the Lord, so praise the Lord, praise God, halal, yah, hallelujah, praise God. And it means praise God in every language, as amen means so be it in every language. The Hebrew hymnal, the book of Psalms, ends with a double hallelujah, and that is Psalms 150 verse 6, let everything that has breath praise the Lord, and then he repeats himself, Praise the Lord. Let's say it together. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. A double halal yah. Hallelujah. Now, interestingly, the word hallelujah is in the book of Psalms multiple times. It's also in other places in the Old Testament. But the only place hallelujah takes place in the New Testament is in this chapter of the book of Revelation. Four times, hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Now, God is about to pour out His wrathful judgments. Verse 2, because His judgments are true and righteous, 
He has judged the great harlot who has corrupted, was corrupting the earth with her immorality. He has avenged the blood of his bondservants on her. Do you remember, and I don't expect you to, but maybe you remember back in chapter 6, there was a group of people who had gotten saved during the great tribulation, and then they were martyred for their faith, and they were under the altar, and they came out from under the altar, and they said, Lord, how long is it going to be until you avenge us for our martyrdom? I'll read it to you. Revelation 6, 9 and following, when the Lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the Word of God, that is, they were killed because they were preaching Jesus and sharing Jesus because of the testimony which they had maintained. And they cried out with a loud voice. This is them talking to God. How long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And God gives an answer that they probably didn't want to hear. But how many of you know that God sometimes tells you things that you don't want to hear? Anybody know that? Look at verse 11 on the screen. And there was given to each of them a white robe, and they were told that they should rest for a little while longer until, now watch, the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who were to be killed, even as they had been, would be completely, would be completed also. God says, you just rest. There's some more of you that are going to die for me. And the Bible says, says that it is a privilege to die for the Lord Jesus Christ. And so what you have in Revelation 17 and 18 is the time for this vengeance to fall. God's going to pour out His wrath on wicked Babylon. The New Testament teaches that when somebody persecutes a Christian for righteousness' sake, that they should leave vengeance with God. Don't take up your own avenging. Deuteronomy 32 verse 35, God said to Moses, vengeance is mine and retribution. In due time, say those little three words, in due time. That means at the appropriate time. God is a God of timing. And look at me, I want to tell you something. I've been walking with it for over 40 years. He's not so much concerned about your timing, he's got his own timing, amen? And we got to get in sync with his timing. He's not going to go with our timing. In due time, their foot will slip. That is, I will punish them for the day of their calamity is near and the impending things are hastening upon them. Paul, the apostle, picked that up in the most theological book probably in the whole Bible, but especially in the New Testament, the book of Romans, said in chapter Romans 12, verse 19, never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. Some of you always take up your own avengement, and, and so you don't, you don't leave any room for the wrath of God. You think you need to do it. You think you can do it better than God. I got news for you. God is a lot better at avenging you than you are. Leave avenging to God. Leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written. Then he quotes Deuteronomy 32, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Hey, the writer of Hebrews said it this way, Hebrews 10, 30 and 31, when he quoted what God said to Moses about vengeance is mine. He said, for we know him who said vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. And then he adds this, it is a terrifying Thing to fall into the hands of the living God. 
You know what, really? Even your worst enemy, if they do you wrong because you're a Christian, you shouldn't get mad at them. You should pity them because the vengeance of God, they are falling into the hands of the living God, and God is going to avenge you. Last week, Don and I listened, or two weeks ago, as Dub Oliver preached on what we're to do when we're persecuted. He quotes out of Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 through 12, words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, in the Beatitudes, blessed, happy, hilarious are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, that is, throw words at you, throw words at you, that's what it means, and persecute you falsely, saying all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. When somebody persecutes you for being a Christian and for standing for scriptural principles, especially in the day in which we live, you should rejoice. You should say, Lord, I, I just thank you that you've shown me the light in your word. I thank you that I know what is right and wrong, not based on what I think about it or what the world thinks about it, but what you think about it. And God, if they're going to persecute me for that, so be it. So be it. Far better to be persecuted for righteousness than to be patted on the back for being a sinner. Oh, I want to be following the righteous Lord. So here in Revelation 19, heaven is applauding the fact that God has poured out His wrath on unrighteousness. Verse 3, and a second time they said, Hallelujah! Her smoke rises up forever and ever. And verse 4, and the 24 elders, I love these guys, and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who sits on the throne saying, Amen! Hallelujah! <laughs> you better understand that when you get to heaven, you're going to hear a lot of that. If this is bothering you, I don't know what to tell you if you're going to heaven. You're going to be bothered for all eternity. Amen? Babylon, this wicked, evil, ungodly, anti-Jesus anti-Christian worldly system has been demolished and heaven is celebrating. Amen. Hallelujah. Every time you see these 24 elders, you know what they're doing? They're falling down on their face before God saying, Amen. Hallelujah. I want to say this to you. When Handel wrote his masterpiece, The Messiah, back in the 1700s, early 1700s, and when they came to the hallelujah chorus that comes from Revelation 11 and Revelation 19, when that happened, people stood up. And today, when they hear the hallelujah chorus, if you started hearing on organ or a band or whatever playing that, dun, 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 when you start hearing that, you just stand up. Why? You're just doing it in honor of the Lord. But in heaven, they don't stand up. You know what they do? They hit the deck. They go down on their face. When the hallelujahs go forth in heaven, they don't stand up. They go down. You know why? Because they see the King of glory. And I have news for you. I've told you this many times. If Jesus walked in this room, you wouldn't stand up singing, hallelujah. You'd hit the deck and say, I am an unworthy, unworthy, unworthy servant. That's what you'd do. I heard a guy one time talking about it. He said, I was shaving, 
and Jesus appeared to me, and I had a wonderful conversation talking with Jesus. I got news for you. If Jesus appears to you, don't be holding a razor because you're going to cut yourself. Amen? You're going to be so startled at the glory of God. That guy didn't bit, I'm not trying to be ugly, but he didn't bit more see Jesus with a razor in his hand. I don't think he did anyway. I just want to say this to you. When Jesus comes, we bow down. Amen? We bow down. Verse 5, and a voice came from the throne saying, give praise to our God, all you his bondservants, you who fear him, small and great. It just keeps going more and more worship. Start back at chapter and verse 1. Hallelujah, it says, salvation, glory, power belong to our God because his judgments are true and righteous for he's judged the great harlot who is corrupting the earth with her immorality he has avenged the blood of his bondservants on her. Verse 3, hallelujah, her smoke rises up forever and ever. Verse 4, amen, hallelujah. Verse 5, give praise to our God, all of you his bondservants. You fear him, you who fear him, the small and the great. And why is he doing it? Why are they praising God? Why are they worshiping God? Why are they saying, hallelujah, praise the Lord? Because he's pouring out his wrath on this wicked world that has persecuted his children. You know what? Paul said that's exactly what he should do. Paul said to the Thessalonians in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 6 and following, he said, for after all, it's only just or righteous for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you. He's talking to Christians. And to give relief to you who are afflicted and to us as well when the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven, that's the coming of Christ, with the mighty angels in flaming fire, dealing out retribution, that's wrath, to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, these will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. Paul was saying that's exactly what God ought to do. People that have the opportunity, they have been given the opportunity over and over again during the great tribulation to receive Christ, to be born again. Now they have rejected Him. Now they have turned on Him. And God sends His judgment and heaven is saying, hallelujah, hallelujah, God has paid back with His wrath those who deserve it. Well, there's a second reason they say hallelujah in heaven, and that is they praise God for Christ, not only His wrath, but His wedding, His wedding. How many of you have ever paid for a wedding? Hold your hand up. Anybody out there? You didn't say hallelujah when you paid for that, did you? That's right. Maybe you did. I don't know. I paid for one boy wedding. I thought, this, what's the big deal here? Then I had my first girl wedding. Oh, my. It wasn't long after that. I called Dave Ramsey. And I said, Dave, you don't say a word about weddings in any of your materials. You need a whole chapter to prepare people for weddings. <laughs> weddings are a good thing though. And Jesus paid for his own wedding when he died on the cross. Amen. Amen. And he's going to get married. We are his bride. Amen. We're going to be at that wedding. We're going to be the bride. He's going to cleanse us. It's going to be awesome. And all of heaven 
is going to praise God. Hallelujah! During the wedding, they're going to praise God. Look at verse 6. Then I heard something like the voice of a great multitude, like the sound of many waters, like the sound of mighty peals of thunder. John just falling all over himself trying to describe what he hears and sees, saying, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. This is the final hallelujah. Verse 7, let us rejoice and be glad and give glory to Him, the glory to Him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come and His bride has made herself ready. There are three distinct stages in a Jewish wedding in the Old Testament. First of all, the betrothal, the engagement. Now, this is so different than what we do nowadays I don't think most of you who are married, your parents set it all up without any of your involvement. I'm not talking about the ceremony. I'm talking about the person. These Jewish parents, when the kids were even little, I'm talking about just little toddlers, they would come along and say, okay, I'd like to make a proposal that my son and your daughter get married one day, a betrothal. I want them to be engaged. If the other party said, okay, that's fine. They do it. Look at me. Kids didn't get to vote. That's not fair. I'm just telling you what happened. And they would save money and they would have all these dowries and endowments and all that ready to go. And they, they could, back then, many of them got married when they were 13, 14, 15 years old. That's why most theologians believe Mary was a teenager when she and Joseph were betrothed and when they got married. In fact, Paul used this imagery to say, what I did with you, Corinthians, when I led you to Christ, I betrothed you to the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to this in 2 Corinthians 11:2. For I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy, for I betrothed you to one husband so that to Christ I might present you as a pure virgin. And then after the engagement, after the betrothal, there's the presentation. This is the time of celebration. This is the time of partying actual, before the actual wedding ceremony. The stage could la- this, this stage could last up to a week depending on how wealthy the parents were, if they had enough money to fund a week-long presentation, celebration, they would do that, or maybe a day, whatever. At the end of the celebration of the presentation, the groom and his attendants would go to the bride's house and escort her and her bridesmaids to the actual ceremony. Paul, again, uses that whole imagery of the presentation portion in Ephesians 5 when he's talking to husbands and wives, and he's talking about Christ and his church. He says, husbands love your wives just as Christ also loved the church, gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Now listen, that he might present to himself. Jesus is not only the bridegroom, he's also the best man that gives, or or the father of the the bride that gives away the, the bride. He says that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle 
or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. For Christians, the presentation will take place at the rapture. How many of you are looking forward to the rapture? Anybody looking forward to the rapture? At the rapture, you're going to be made like a beautiful bride in white clothing. The Bible says in 1 John 3, 2, Beloved, now we are children of God. It has not yet appeared what we will be, but one but we know that when He appears, that's at the rapture, when He appears, we will be like Him. How many of you know that Jesus is spotless, amen? Jesus is sinless. And so we're going to be made like Him. When? Right then. We're already forgiven for our sins, but we're going to appear like Jesus when He comes in the rapture because we will see Him just as He is. And then the final part of the wedding is the ceremony. This is where they exchange their vows and where the married couple go home and consummate their marriage. And that is likened to the second coming of Jesus when He comes back to earth with His bride. The church is the bride of Christ. I want to say this to you. Most any man in here would say the same thing. You can talk about me, that's cool, but don't you come after my wife. Don't you do it. And every man in here would say the same thing that's, that, that loves his wife. And I want to say this to you. When people talk bad about other Christians and when they talk bad about the church, they are putting down the bride of Christ and look at me, it angers Jesus. Jesus is going to judge people that put down his church. Who do you think you are? Who do you think you are to put down the church of the living God? That is the bride of Christ. Do we have problems? Yes. Do we do everything perfect? No. I'm a sinner, you're a sinner, we're all a bunch of sinners, but look at me. We are the body and the bride of Christ, and God, Jesus Christ, loves His bride way more than I love mine, and I love mine a whole lot, and He will protect His bride. You better be careful talking bad about the church. I'm not saying that we never need anybody to point out something that we're not doing right. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is don't have a critical spirit toward the bride of the Lord Jesus Christ. And look at verse 8. It was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Leave that verse on the screen. I want to just do a little theological uh, lesson here just for a moment. How many of you struggle sometimes between the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man? How many of you know what I'm talking about? God initiates salvation, but we're supposed to respond. Responsibility, ability to respond. But we can't do it till He initiates it. Some people say He only initiates it on certain people, and then He foreordains that the other people go to hell. I don't believe God predestines anybody to go to hell. I believe we've all got a chance, all right? And so if you disagree with me on that, that's fine. I'm not going to argue with you about it. I quit arguing about that a long time ago. But here you've got God in His sovereignty. Look at the first part of the verse. It was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen. In other words, we can't just put on the linens of righteousness and, and we can't save ourselves. God has to take the initiative. Last time I checked, that Bible says, for God so loved the world 
that he gave it. God initiated salvation. You couldn't have gotten saved if God hadn't come after you. He had to pull you out of the miry clay, set your feet on a rock, put a new song in your heart, a song of praise to his God. But you're supposed to respond, but you can't initiate it. God is sovereign. He is the one who starts the whole thing. And that's what it means. It was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, but, and bright and clean. But then there's the responsibility of man. We have to respond. God's not going to make us respond. What does it say? For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. So you see, God moves on somebody, and God is moving on some of you right now. God is saying to you right now, why don't you become part of the bride of Christ? Why don't you give your heart to Jesus Christ? Why don't you repent of your sins? Why don't you stop all your sinning and turn to the Lord? It doesn't mean you'll never sin again, but it means you don't want to anymore. Why don't you stop this stuff? Why don't you quit saying maybe later, maybe later? Stop that stuff. Why don't you get out of the mess that you're in? Why don't you come to Jesus, bow humbly before Him and say, I am a wretched sinner. I cannot save myself. I can never do enough good work. I can't provide myself with white clothing of righteous acts. Oh God, I come to you. I repent of my sin. I believe Jesus died for my sin. I believe God, Jesus rose from the dead. And I believe that you'll save me if I'll just receive you. So I receive you right now. Save me, Lord Jesus Christ. And if you'll do that, if you'll do that, he will clothe you in white righteousness. Wow. I'll say it backwards. Wow. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. Why don't you do that today? So that when the wedding comes, you'll be part of it. Verse 9, then he said to me, right, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are true words of God. Oh, hallelujah. Praise God for His wrath on sin. Oh, hallelujah. Praise God for Jesus' wedding. That's one wedding I'm going to be in. Amen. I won't be up here performing it either. I'll be part of it. And then finally, hallelujah, praise God. For our witness, we get to tell people about this. Amen. Aren't you glad that we have a gospel to share? Look at verse 10. John does something wrong. He makes a cardinal mistake. Then I fell at his feet to worship him. Look at me. Please look at me. Never, never in this book are we told to pray to an angel. Never in this book are we told to pray to a saint. Never are we in this book told to pray to Mary. I'm not trying to be ugly. I'm just telling you, no. And anytime anybody does that, you know what God's saying? Don't do that. (laughs) It's exactly what he said here. Don't do that. He said to me, don't do that. I'm a fellow servant of yours and your brethren who hold the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. I want to say this, you'll know it's from God when God not only rebukes you for your sin, but then tells you what you ought to do. Amen? 
Now, the devil will just beat you up all the time about how bad you are, but he never tells you the right thing to do. God says, don't do that. Do this. Worship God. Don't you worship me. And look, don't worship any preacher. Don't worship any angel. Don't worship anybody. Don't even worship a church. Don't worship money. Don't worship anything on this earth. Worship God through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the power of the Holy Spirit. God, to God be the glory, great things He has done. Don't do that. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Now, I want to tell you what that means. Let me just boil it down into simple West Tennessee regular English prophecy is all about Jesus. A lot of people say, well, we're studying prophecy at our church and we're learning prophecy is all about I'm going to know everything about the end times. Look at me. That's a subsidiary thing. And besides that, nobody understands everything about the end times, all right? If I've learned anything in these last months is how much I don't understand. But I'm getting a little bit of it down. But you know what? The bottom line is only God knows everything's going to happen in the future. But here's the deal. The Bible, the book of Revelation, is not just there to tell you what's going to happen. It's there to tell you about Jesus Christ. What is the first verse, what does it say out of the gate in Revelation? Here it is, Revelation 1.1, the revelation of, say it out loud, Jesus Christ. There it is. Not the revelation of John. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his bondservants the things which must soon take place. And he sent and communicated it by his angel to his bondservant, John. So what you have in the book of Revelation, it's all about Jesus. That's what that phrase is saying. Prophecy is about Jesus. Jesus is the fulfillment of prophecy. What was in chapter 1? You say, I don't remember. Well, I do. It was the resurrected Jesus Christ talking about what he was going to give to John. And then in chapter 2 and 3, what was that? It was the churches, the seven churches of Asia, and you have Jesus walking in the midst of the churches, critiquing every church. And I got news for you, Jesus walks through this church and critiques this church too, and any other church. And Jesus Christ is Lord of the church. And in chapter 4 and 5, you've got this scenario, people in heaven are crying, they're not, but John is crying because there's nobody who is worthy to open the seals in this book in this book. And so an angel comes to John and says, stop your crying. The lion, the, the lion of Judah is here. The Lamb of God is here. And he's going to open up. And Jesus walks in to the Ancient of Days, fulfilling Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. He walks up. He takes the book. And he's worthy because he's the only sinless Son of God who has gone to the cross, died for our sins, and rose from the dead. And he takes that, and he's worthy to give forth the vengeance of God on these people. So he opens the book in chapters 4 and 5, and they start celebrating there too. And then chapter 6 through 18 is Jesus opening up these seals, opening up these bowls of wrath, these trumpets of wrath, and Jesus is pouring down the wrath of God. Jesus is doing that until you get 
to chapter 19 where we are today and everybody's praising God because Jesus is about to come back. Next week, we're going to see that it's Jesus who's going to come back and He's going to come back on a white horse and we who have been raptured up to be with Him, we're coming back with Him and that's all about Jesus. When He comes back, He is going to once and for all do away with Antichrist and everybody else that is opposing Him at the valley of Armageddon. And then the Bible says in chapter 20, it's all about Jesus. Jesus is going to rule all over this world in the millennial reign for a thousand years. At the end of that, He's going to give His judgments out. Look at me. You're not going to stand before Buddha. You're not going to stand before Muhammad. You're going to stand before Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And you're going to stand before Him and give an account for your life. And if you know Him, you're going to be saved. And if you don't, you're not. You're going to go to hell if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. There is only one way to God, and that is not your way. It is God's way, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible says then, after chapter 20 is over with, then we get to chapter 21 and 22, and it's all about a place that Jesus has already gone. He said, I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, so that where I am, there you may be also. And praise God, one of these days, where He is, we are going to be also. That's the last two chapters. I'm telling you, the whole book, just like the whole Bible, is about Jesus Christ. And that's what we're supposed to witness about. Now, why do I go off on that? Why do we have a church? This is not primarily a Baptist church. It is a Jesus church. It is all about Jesus. That's what it's about. That's what it's about. It's not a Baptist church first and foremost. It's not a white church. It's not a black church. It's not a Democrat church. It's not a Republican church. It's not even an American church. It is the church, the bride of the Lord Jesus Christ. It belongs to Him, and we belong to Him. And we are part of His church. And that's the witness that we need to give. That's the witness we need to give. Well, I praise God that I don't have to worry about the enemies of Christianity. God will take care of that in His wrath. Hallelujah. I also know that I'm going to a wedding one day that I couldn't pay for. <laughs> and I'm going to be part of it. I'm going to be part of the bride. And I say, hallelujah. And I also say, Lord, thank you that until I get to go to that wedding, I get to witness about this all the time. And to that, I say, come COVID, come whatever, hallelujah. 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 Let's all say it together on three. One, two, three. Hallelujah. Amen. Let's all stand up. Praise God. Praise God. Now, Steve. I kind of, man, that, that hallelujah song's got it going on, man. I think we ought to do that again. Y'all like that song? Amen. Amen. You know what I hope you'll do? Some of you guys wake up at night, just, it'll bless your marriage. Just shout out loud, hallelujah! And your wife will say, what, what's going on? What's going on? <laughs> Amen. I want to ask you a question. Can you 
from the depths of your soul. Say, hallelujah, Jesus is my Savior. If you can't, would you allow me? Mouthing words doesn't do anything, but praying prayers does something. Things change when you pray prayers. And if you'll pray to God, I want to say this to you. I meant to say it to you at the beginning of the service. Look at me. God loves you. And the devil has beat up on some of you so long, you don't believe God loves you. Yeah, preacher, I hear you. I hear you. But you don't know what I've done. No, I don't. But God does. God doesn't love your sin. He doesn't love my sin. And I've got sin, just like you. But I got news for you. God loves you. So much so that when you couldn't get out of your miry clay to walk up to God, God came down to you in His Son, Jesus Christ. When you couldn't save yourself, God came down to save you. He came in His Son, Jesus Christ. He loves you. And He'll forgive you today if you'll repent, turn from your sin, and turn to Jesus, the only one. Listen, there's only one Savior, and that's Jesus. That's Jesus. So let's bow just for a second. If you don't know the Lord, pray and receive Him right now. And let me lead you in a prayer. If you don't want to pray these words, fine. You pray whatever you want to. But I'd like to lead you in a prayer just like I would lead somebody in their wedding vows. Pray something like this. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you that you love me. I believe you're the only Savior. I want to be saved right now. Some of you might say, I don't even know if, I, I don't know if I'm saved or not. I don't know, but I want to make sure right now. And Lord, I turn from my sin. I repent. I'm so sorry for the things I've done. Please forgive me. I believe you died and paid my sin debt on the cross. I believe you rose from the dead and you're alive. And I receive you right now. I call on your name. Save me right now, Lord Jesus. And by faith, not by feeling, but by faith, I believe that you have. And so I say, hallelujah. And all God's people said, amen.